So the big question is this. In these uncertain times, in this uncertain economy, how are some lawyers adapting their practices so they're not only surviving, they're thriving while others are folding under the pressure? We're talking to those lawyers and legal professionals to find out what's working, what's not, and what they're doing to stay on top. You're listening to Law in the Time of COVID-19. Hey there, and thanks for joining us on this episode brought to you by LawPods, branded marketing podcast for lawyers by lawyers. Now, when the COVID-19 pandemic thrust the world into chaos, lawyers had to continue managing the stressors of practicing law and operating a business while also taking on the monumental task of adjusting their firms to a new normal. Some adjusted quickly, others are still continuing to grapple with the chaos. Now, in each episode, we're going to be featuring experts, including managing partners, firm managers, marketers, and other professionals from the legal field to shed some light on how this crisis is affecting them and the strategic steps they're taking to stay in control. Now, if you are a lawyer and a podcast addict like me, you have undoubtedly heard from today's guests before. A lawyer, professional mentor, speaker, and frequent podcast guest, he has authored 19 books and over 400 articles for lawyers and business professionals. He's one of those people whose bio pages makes you wonder what you've been doing with your life. It's my pleasure to welcome Frank Ramos of Clark Silvergate in Miami, Florida. Welcome, Frank. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate and appreciate that very nice and generous introduction. Hey, you wrote it. I'm just reading it, man. <laughs> so the uh, how's the weather down there? I assume I asked that because I know you're in Miami and it is frigid where I am. It's very cool. It's in low 70s and dry and, and warm, so I can't really oh, complain at all. Oh, you you poor thing. You poor thing. It's a tough life, but somebody has a little. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's in the. Yeah, it's in the 30s here, so it just uh, it makes me angry. But then you know, I talk to people in Minnesota, and they're like, "You shut up." All right. Well, I will jump into it. One of the questions I like to ask because it, it it speaks volumes, and it just reminds us all where we were in that moment. What was day one like at your firm when you realized that this wasn't going to be a one day, two week, three week thing? When we realized we're going into lockdown and we're going to have to figure things out. We were here in South Florida, and this was sort of one of the epicenters, and remains one of the epicenters of COVID nineteen. And we quickly realized as things were shutting down and ordinances were being passed and rules and orders were being entered by various municipalities and county governments that we had to act quickly. So we had to transition from home office to remote office. And fortunately, we were already in the process of updating and upgrading our technology. So it worked out pretty well. And we were working remotely for about three or four months. And we actually came back sometime in June. And we've been back in the office since then. We're a smaller office. We have a lot of space in our floor. We can spread out. And we've been socially distancing since we've returned and we wear masks when we're in the hallways or in the restrooms. And so it's worked out for us. We've been very blessed and fortunate, but I know a lot of firms still are working from home. It's a unique transition and it's required a lot of facility and use of technology. And and fortunately, we've been, been able to make that transition pretty seamlessly. Nice. That's fortuitous that you were already making that transition with technology because I've talked to a number of firm owners who just were not they didn't know how to use video conferencing. They had never dealt with managing remote teams. What tech were you implementing? Like what kind of system were you in the process of implementing at the time? You know, we were upgrading our hardware and our software. We were already realizing that there was going to be a push to do more stuff remotely even before COVID. And so we were trying to understand a lot of these platforms, including Zoom and others, 
And once it happened, we all kind of, you know, increased the pace of that and really fast-tracked all those efforts. And, and to be honest, it really isn't, you know, our firm's smaller, obviously with larger firms or more logistics involved, but it doesn't require that much work or time or energy to do it. It just requires a commitment. It, it's really the hardware and the software is the easiest. It's retraining everybody so that they see things differently, and that takes some time. But fortunately, you know, everybody was willing to do that, and I think we're all much better off for it. Obviously, you know, COVID has been a terrible plague on all of us, and, you know, there's been so much loss of life and jobs and so forth. But if it's taught us anything, it's taught us that we're pretty resilient and we can certainly roll with the best of them and roll with the punches. Yeah. I was several years ahead of that curve when I was still practicing law before I finally talked myself out of it. I had decided to start a completely virtual firm. I was like, I'm going to meet with clients virtually and I'm going to shut down my office and I'm not even going to offer to meet with clients. And clients had other plans for me at the time. They said, we don't like this. When they said we don't like this by not hiring me. <laughs> so I was a little too far ahead of that curve. However, if I was still practicing, I'd like to think that that would have been great. I'd have been ready to go. So when it came to your office, were there any hard choices about how the firm was going to spend dollars? Did you have to reorganize and figure out staffing issues? It's funny because when you're working remotely, you realize that certain things you kind of take for granted. People are constantly in each other's offices and walking up and down the halls. And so you have to learn to communicate with one another. You really have to suddenly rely a lot more on emails. You have to be much more specific in your communications to your teams. You have to also appreciate morale. I mean, people suddenly are at home. They're isolated. Even if they're with their immediate families, they're not going out. You know, restaurants and bars closed here, and they remain at reduced capacity. And so there's the business side of it where you're trying to make sure everybody's connected. And there's also the emotional and psychological side, making sure that people kind of remain connected emotionally and psychologically. So any firm, and no matter what the size, that's a certain a very important component and remains a, uh, an important component to this day. That's it in a nutshell. Again, we're back in the office, but we're still doing a lot of things remotely here in South Florida. Mediations, depositions, hearings are all remote. So some per- firms have been pivoting their marketing strategy throughout the pandemic to meet a growing demand for digital content. Did you have any changes in your firm to your marketing approach? You're right. We spent more time online than we did in person. Obviously, all the conferences we're supposed to attend are canceled. I'm a member of civil defense organization, as are others at our firm. We do civil defense litigation here in South Florida. And all our conferences after March are gone and, and they remain canceled. You know, they're virtual, but I don't believe my next physical conference is until August. And so you have to recalibrate how you are relating with people. You can't take them out for coffee or lunch, you can't have drinks. And so, you know, what's left, you know, what's left is social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. What's left is virtual happy hours and Zoom calls. And maybe you start sending some more personal letters and personal emails, more phone calls. But you really have to rethink how you're going to stay in touch with people because you want to stay front of mind when they have a case. And so you're trying to maintain those relationships and like you said earlier, like you're th- everybody was thinking, well, this will be a few weeks and then a couple months, and then you realize, well, this is going to be a full year. And you can't just ignore marketing for a full year. You just can't like wait it out. So some firms are better at this than others, and some kind of got on board sooner than others. But you know, going online was crucial, I think, to stay in contact and, and remain connected to your uh, referral sources. Yeah, and I'll say that of all people, I think you were uniquely positioned for that because you were already very active at a minimum on LinkedIn 
where I was connected to, you were very active there. And so I think making that transition to doing more of your networking there probably came a little bit easier than it did for some people, but is, is great advice because so many lawyers, they rely on the face-to-face meetings, seeing people at conferences, just at the networking events, at lunch, at the bar association events, and, and all that stuff kind of turned virtual. And for all the good of the virtual conferences and the virtual happy hours and meetings and things like that, it's not the same as being able to sit and have a five-minute conversation on the side because you're not doing that. You see they're a little square and you pipe up every once in a while. But it became a time when we had to initiate that contact. We had to reach out on LinkedIn and say, hey, let's talk like personally. That's something that it wasn't a reflexive muscle that we already had. We had to go find it. No, it's a great point. I think even for those of us who are active on LinkedIn, we had to really turbocharge our approach to the platform. We realized, well, wait a minute, now everybody's on the platform. People who just use it as sort of a way to have their resume or profile out there were suddenly posting and connecting and people were reaching out to me a lot more than they had been just a few months before. So I think everybody realized they had to redefine their approach to marketing and LinkedIn seemed to be the default for most professionals, particularly lawyers. Yeah. And since you're so active there, and I know that a lot of lawyers just from seeing them do it and from networking with so many over the years struggle with that platform, what approach would you suggest for somebody trying to harness the power of LinkedIn? I think first of all, you have to define what you want to do on the platform, which means if you're trying to build your book of business in a specific area, you want to post about that given area of law. So if you do cybersecurity, you want to start posting regularly in cybersecurity. If you do personal injury, then you want to post regularly about personal injury and you want to become a go-to source and a thought leader in that area of the law so that people start following you. you know, there are folks who do non-competes and that's all they post about. There are people who do product liability and that's all they post about. My approach is a bit different. I do more sort of mentoring and leadership and uh, more of a open approach to how I handle the uh, platform. But I think for folks who really want to focus on one area, I think that's maybe the best approach. You know, Decide what area of your practice you really want to build and be known for and develop business in and then post on it regularly. And when I mean post on it regularly, ideally every day, and maybe even more than once a day. And one way of doing that is maybe taking an article or presentation you've given and breaking it down to bite-sized chunks so that maybe 1,500-word articles and suddenly become 20 posts because you're limited to 1,300 characters per post on LinkedIn. And that's the way you can kind of draw it out and get more for your buck by those sorts of things. For people who are just starting out, they maybe have a hard time of thinking what to post, what to discuss. Again, kind of go back to what you do and what you've spoken and written on in the past, what you talk to clients about, what your clients are talking about and what they're communicating about, and then have a list. You know, either have some sort of list you keep on your phone or maybe you keep a little journal when you walk around in your wallet or your purse and jot things down. You know, we all have downtime. We're all waiting in lines of markets or dry cleaners or we're stuck in traffic and just jot things down for yourself. Get in the habit of doing that. It takes about three weeks for something to become a, a natural habit. And when I started doing posting daily, I think it was in August of 2016, it took about a few weeks to get used to it. And now it's so second nature, I have to kind of actually stop myself from posting too much because the more you do it, the more ideas come to you and they kind of just kind of flow steadily. It's kind of like how authors who you're wondering you know, how they've written 50 novels, like the first two or three novels were a bear, but suddenly they can't stop writing. You know, the Stephen Kings of the worlds or the Pattersons of the worlds, you know, it's just like they can't stop now. It's like the spigot has been open and, and it's just pouring out. And LinkedIn and social media, and whether it's LinkedIn or another platform, it's all the same. So 
you just have to get over that initial hump. And also, I think some people are kind of wondering, like, well, will anybody really read what I have to say? And I sound kind of obnoxious. And who am I to talk about this? But there are people who are going to read your content. You know, if you are providing real substantive content in a direct manner, it's not very self-aggrandizing. It's not always about yourself or promoting yourself. You're just kind of sharing information and data and concepts and advice and tips. You're going to gain a following pretty quickly. You'd be surprised. And people are going to find you and seek you out. And eventually, you're going to be asked to speak and write and to lead and all sorts of things. And they'll have secondary and tertiary benefits from it. You were saying, you know, they're not sure what they're going to talk about. That's something I hear from lawyers all the time that are they're interested. They're like, okay, I'm interested in starting a podcast, but I have these five ideas. And then what will I talk about after that? That always kind of blows me away because, hey, you're a lawyer. There's not too many of us that aren't good at talking for an hour without realizing that no one stopped us. And one of the things I tell them, and, and you hit on it, was if you're a family law attorney, what are you getting asked every single consult? When somebody sits down in the room, what are they asking you? They're asking you X, Y, and Z. Like, can I take half the money in the bank account? What happens with the house? What do we do with the kids? How's the holiday schedule work? After a few minutes, they've written down like 50 different ideas. And I'm like, there's your first 50 episodes right there. And that translates into content as well. If you want to post on LinkedIn, think each one of those you know, questions can perhaps be multiple posts by themselves. There's never-ending things that you could be you know, discussing, putting your opinion on, getting out there and you know, using what you said about taking an article you wrote and repurposing it is, is the way I would call it into multiple pieces of content is really the best way to expand it because you can take that and yeah, you can turn it into 20 pieces of written content. And then you can take that and you can record that content into little snippets of video and put those things out there that are valuable for people so they don't have to stop for a second because we know people don't love to stop and read sometimes. So you can make it into a video. You can make it into you know, a quote image that somebody can grab something quick off of. Yeah, you can, you can get to a point where you are oversaturating with content real quickly, like you said. Yeah, and you make a great point about the family law. There is an attorney, you may follow me wherever, her name is Hannah Bell Hembry. She's, I believe, out of San Antonio or Austin, Austin, Texas. And she does family law and she posts regularly. She posts a lot of videos of herself. And she does what, exactly what you're suggesting. She basically answers common questions that she gets as a family law lawyer, which she gets a lot of, obviously. And who hasn't or knows somebody who's gone through a divorce or adoption or having a custody issue? You know, we all know somebody who has or is going through that. So that's a great approach. And just answering those common questions and it accomplishes two things. One, it provides you content. But two, it also shows the world that you know what you're talking about because you're actually sharing substantive information when you're sharing that type of content with the rest of the world. If you do that on a consistent and regular basis, you're like, well, yeah, this person obviously knows family law because he or she has not posted you know, for two or three straight months. And every time I see one of his or her posts, whether it's a video or a little a segment or whatever it is, or article or 1,300-character post, it's something new. And they're sharing some other new insight that I hadn't even thought of. And so obviously, they're really good at what they're doing. And if I have a case in Austin, Texas, and somebody's going through a divorce, I'm going to call up this attorney and have them handle this matter for me. So we've talked about sharing content that is relevant, interesting for your audience and growing your thought leadership that way. Now, what way would you recommend for lawyers to use LinkedIn for a networking purpose past just posting content and, and showing people and showing up and being relevant? How would you recommend they use that platform to actually reach out and start developing relationships? It's a great question. I think you have to ultimately take those relationships offline. And so you kind of have to ask yourself, you know, who are my potential referral sources? If you're a local firm 
and you handle X type of practice, then you're probably looking at other firms that may handle the similar types of practices but in other jurisdictions. So maybe you find a LinkedIn group that handles that practice area. Maybe you reach out specifically to other attorneys in your connections or followers that do that area of law in another area. And then you just say, hey, you know, you want to do a virtual meetup. Can we have a Zoom call? Can I give you a call? Can we do FaceTime? Whatever it is. And you know, I want to tell you a little bit about my practice. You tell me a little bit about yours. I think people are more receptive to this than they may have been a year ago because this is how we're meeting with each other now. And I think, you know, if we did this maybe in January of 2019, it would have been a little weird. But now it's perfectly normal. That's perfectly normal to reach out to, not say a perfect stranger, but somebody that you have a loose relationship with online and kind of take it to the next level. And it doesn't take much time or energy. You have to like pay for parking or get in your car or buy a meal or, you know, buy a drink. It's literally a 15-minute conversation or 20-minute conversation online that you can schedule before or at the end of your workday or at lunch. And it's very unintrusive. And if, you know, let's say you did one a day over a month, you do about 20 of them. Now you've either developed or deepened 20 different relationships that may lead to one or more referrals. So it's pretty simple. It just takes a certain tenacity and you have to have a certain consistency to do it. Yeah, sure thing. Now, one of the questions I like to hit as well is, and we're going to pivot here a little bit, is how are you looking out for your own mental health during this crisis? I know that lawyers of all professions struggle with mental health issues. I think as far as I know, we may be the only profession that is required by our governing body to take a class every three years that says, hey, careful with the substances, don't harm yourself. Here are strategies how not to do that. And I know that for just people in general, the pandemic has been hard on their mental health. How are you as a lawyer looking out for your own mental health during this? First of all, you have to kind of take care of your physical health. And it's really easy to not eat well and not exercise because we can order anything we want and not really, like no one's really kind of watching us. We don't get dressed up as much as we used to. No, we don't. We don't have to wear our suits as often or our professional clothing. So it's easy to forget that maybe they're not as loose as they once were. So I think the first step is to make sure that you're still eating well and that you're exercising or, or engaging some sort of physical activity. And then two, I think you really have to be aware of what's going on in your own life. And if you start sensing that relationships are starting to get afraid or maybe you're being more impatient or distracted, then you have to really stay connected. And if you're fortunate enough to be living with somebody, you're married, you have kids, try to spend more time with them. And if you're working remotely, try to do more things that are social, whether it's calling people, Zooming with people, whatever it is. But I think we're all social creatures and online platforms are great and they're fun, but you can't have a relationship over Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. I mean, it's part of our what we do, but it's not all of it. And so you really have to find ways to stay connected with people. And it may be just you know, calling, making a point saying, today I'm going to call so-and-so. I haven't talked to him or her in a while. Uh, or I'm going to send them a text message saying if they're available, I'm not going to just jump in on their day, but you know, maybe we can set up a time to speak. But staying connected is really important. All of those things, absolutely. I'll say, as I see this vaccine starting to roll out, I am really impatiently looking forward to hugs again. <laughs> Sometimes I have to be out and about and I'll see somebody I know and I'll be like, hey, you, I'm going to hug you soon enough. So I do look forward to that coming back because that's a big part of my mental health. But uh, yeah, having those meetings and having those phone calls and being intentional about actually connecting with people has been hugely important for my mental health. 
the physical aspect as well. If I don't move enough in a given week, I'm going to be kind of curmudgeon-y. So that's a big part of it. Yeah, it's true. I mean, we kind of overlooked the fact that like, I mean, there are periods during this last year where I was just didn't care what I was eating. And I was wondering why I was always so listless and tired. It's like, well, you know, it doesn't really help the fact that I'm not eating well. I mean, I'm just like, I, I, this isn't helping. And me not getting off the desk or the chair isn't helping either. So little things that we kind of take for granted when, you, when they add up collectively, they can really affect you both physically and emotionally. And so those are things you really have to kind of keep an eye on. Yeah, sure thing. Now, before I ask my final question, where can the listeners connect with you? They're welcome to follow me on my website, MiamiMentor.com. It's a free website for young lawyers and law students and more experienced lawyers and follow me there as well. It's a collection of my books, most of which are free, my videos, which are also free. And it's just basically, it's sort of a forum for folks to kind of develop their skill set as lawyers. And I know that a lot of folks struggle with getting mentors and having people help them along the process. And a lot of folks just don't have that help wherever they're at. So I try to be a virtual mentor if I can, and hopefully my materials, my videos help out. So that's probably the best place. There's a forming, reach out to me. If people want to set up a 15-minute call and just talk about the practice. Those are free. I'm happy to take the time. I talk to probably one or two lawyers a day about whatever's on their mind. And you know, hopefully uh, I can give them some insight as to how I can help them and so forth. Nice. That's, that's a great resource. I, I really appreciate that you're doing that. I know what the value of mentors have been in my own life. And then I see the students that I mentored when they were coming up and we have developed this amazing relationship from that. So that's one thing I always encourage when I ever talk to any young lawyers is please, please try to find yourself some mentors because there is no more valuable resource that you're going to find out there. So yes, please check out Frank's, is it MiamiMentor.com? Yeah, that's right. Just as it sounds, it's spelled MiamiMentor.com and you can reach out to me there or and certainly you're welcome to all the resources. They're all basically free. Perfect. And we're going to link all of that in the show notes for you as well. So feel free to check those out there. So what are you taking with you forward from the pandemic? Like how has the COVID crisis changed the way that you are thinking about how you're going to operate your firm on the other side of the crisis? I think that as a profession, we are very slow to embrace technology as lawyers. Whether we wanted to or not, we all had to run some of us screaming to embrace it. And I think that the practice is forever changed. I think working from home is now part of our process. You know, I think you're going to have firms with a much smaller leasing and office footprint. You're going to have more people doing meetings via virtually, more hearings going to be done virtually, depositions will be done virtually, a lot less traveling, which is good and bad. It just depends on how much you enjoy traveling. But I think for smaller things, certainly people are going to want to drive for two hours for a hearing. They'll just appear virtually. So and I think clients will certainly benefit because it'll cost them less in the long term. So I just think the way we practice is forever changed. And I don't think people appreciate that yet. If the pandemic had only been a month or two months, I probably wouldn't be saying this, but it's been almost a year now. And it probably be, won't be until the summer until we return to some normalcy. And by then, habits have been ingrained. You know, we're not going back. You know, it's, just, it's just not happening. And so for people who are thinking long term of how they want to develop their practice, they have to think to themselves, and perceive the world through the prism of technology and how we interact with each other now and think, well, how can I leverage that to get work and clients in the future? How can I use LinkedIn, as we've discussed? How can I use Facebook or Instagram? How can I do webinars? How can I record videos and share them online? How about YouTube? How about you know everything else that's out there? How can I create webinars and do podcasts like yours? And how do I get become a, pod, a guest on podcasts or blogging? There's so many different avenues. 
that people have kind of put sort of off to the side because they always thought, well, I'm just going to see people in person. And conferences aren't going to be the same. You know, conferences will be fewer. There'll be less people. Firms will be less willing to pay for people to attend conferences. Clients will be less willing to actually travel to conferences. So we have to reimagine both the practice and how we market the practice. Well, Frank, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you being here. And when the conference circuit does open back up, I'm going to find you, give you a handshake, (laughs) buy you coffee. Sounds great. Likewise. All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks so much. Thanks for joining us. For resources from the episode, go to the show notes in your podcast player or visit lawpods.com slash podcast. Do you know someone who's staying on top that should be a guest on the show? Submit their name to Let's Podcast at lawpods.com. Stay safe, stay healthy, and stay profitable. <laughs>